Hey, Amarillo, I'm Jason Boyette, and you're listening to Hey, Amarillo, the interview podcast featuring some of the most interesting people and stories of Amarillo, Texas. And this is our 100th episode. So it's it's been a really busy month for this podcast. Earlier in August, we were the title sponsor of the Hey Amarillo Beer Fest, which drew a big crowd and a lot of excitement out at Starlight Ranch. Uh, we're already talking about doing it again next year. And then the publication Texas Highways named Hey Amarillo among its five Texas podcasts to listen to now, which that, I mean that that's an honor too. It's kind of fun to get attention outside this area. And and this is our 100th episode. So August 2019 big month. And because it's the 100th episode, this is going to be a little bit different one. For one thing, it's longer than usual because I have two guests lined up. My primary guest is Dexter Kearley, uh, but we'll get to him in a few minutes. I want to start off by checking in with Angelina Marie. She edits the show. Uh, She first appeared on the podcast on July 9th, 2018. That's episode 41, if you're counting. And she was one of my guests in a special eight straight only show. But since February of this year, she's been the person who takes all the different audio pieces and puts it together into a podcast you can listen to every week. She's the show's editor. She cleans them up. She makes it easy to listen to, easy for you as listeners. You don't get distracted by anything that's going on. Um, makes them sound professional. It's a tough, tough job, but it gives her a pretty interesting perspective on the show every week. So I wanted to talk to her about it. Here's Angelina. So this is the 100th episode of the Hey Amarillo podcast. And I have a uh, special guest for this episode coming up later. But to start it off, I have an even more special guest in studio to... Just talk real briefly about who she is and what she does. Uh, so Angelina Marie is my editor for the podcast, has been a faithful listener since the beginning. She appeared on uh, the very first Eight Straight Only episode, which was in July of 2018, and has been editing the show for the past six months. Angelina, welcome to uh, this side of the microphone. Yeah, this is real uncomfortable. Yeah. Oh, Good. <laughs> Now you, now you know seat. what, well, you, you already know what the guests go through. You've, you've been here before, but I, I wanted to have her on the show because she's become a, uh, a real important part of the process here. Before I hired you, I was editing and recording and doing all this stuff myself, which was a bad idea and makes the burnout process a lot quicker. I mean, I was, yeah. I was putting a lot of hours into the show every week, uh, which is really hard given that I, you know have other jobs and stuff too, well, just like you do. You and know? we're all glad that you stuck with it. So. Well, well, thanks. thanks um, so th- the best decision I made was contacting you and saying, hey, can you help me with this? And I, I hope one of the best decisions you made was saying, yeah, let's, <laughs> let's see what happens. It's been a learning experience, that's for sure. But right. I, I've gotten to the point where I really do enjoy it. Well, good. I, and you, the reason I asked you is, wasn't just because uh, we were friends and I trusted you and knew that you had the right mindset um, to do it well, but also you have experience in that world as um, someone who has worked in a recording studio and edited audio and music and all kinds of stuff like that. So, Yeah, midnight sessions with rap artists and heavy metal bands. Which is really close to what I'm doing. Exactly the um, same. But you... Uh, <laughs> I guess I could ask you to tell stories from that, but uh, I don't want to get off track. Uh, But I do want to say thank you for helping me because uh, your 
expertise has not only taken a load off of my shoulders in doing this every week, but I think has made it better in a lot of ways and that I don't have to think of this one thing, but also that you have experience, you know what you're doing. And, and I don't, you know, I'm just was playing around with garage band. Well, you were doing a fine job, Well, but I'm thanks. glad to take it off your shoulders. I, I appreciate it. Um, you are the first employee I've ever had. Whoa, Did you know that? No. First person I've ever paid like in my business okay, to cool. do something for me. Cool. That feels cool. So, yeah. Well, thanks That's for cool. trusting me. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Um, mostly it's just because I'm cheap and kind of yeah, flying yeah. by the seat of my pants. Most half of the us time. are. Um, I, I want to talk to you a little bit just because you are so close. You listen to every episode before anyone else does other than me hearing it live. You, I, I think, have a pretty good perspective, not only on the people that you listen to, but also on the city itself and the needs of Amarillo and the things we talk about. Uh, so just wanted to get you know, kind of a sense from you of what you've thought over the past few months of editing it. Like, what's it like from your side, listening to people talk, editing out the stuff that we need to edit out, um, and, and kind of hearing some of the issues that, that we talk about? I think, and this is really simple, but I think my favorite part is the bloopers, the, the little awkward moments that we edit out, whether it's you or the guest. I get a good chuckle out of those. And it's not an embarrassing thing for you or the guest. It's just this nice raw moment that it makes me feel a little special that I get to hear that. A few curse words, but there have been surprisingly few curse words. Yeah, people are pretty well behaved They're when very, the microphone's yeah, on. Yeah, very conscious of that. And not one single curse word from you, I don't think. So. Oh, I, I'm pretty clean <laughs> in, uh, in my entertainment value. But, I mean, when it comes to the guests overall and the messages that they talk about, some of my favorite ones have been the people that aren't normally in the limelight mm -hmm. that you found that are working in the neighborhoods and in our community doing things that really get looked over and kind of stay under the radar, especially neighborhoods that, that get looked over. And that really means a lot to me that this podcast has been able to showcase their works and their passions. And it's it's an eye-opener for a lot of people. And I really hope a lot of people hear those messages and really pay attention to see what our city needs. Is there a certain episode or a certain person that kind of stands out from that viewpoint? So I don't know why this one always does, but Salat, can you tell me how to say Salat, it? Salat Duali. Okay, yeah. so Salat. Somali immigrant who was, uh, a doctor. was a doctor, has lived here for several years, has a trucking company, mm -hmm. uh, and a, a real great representative of that community. And he said something that has just almost haunted me is that I think he has only hosted one white family in his home and maybe has been in the home of one other white family. Right. And to me, that is so telling. And I do. I love Amarillo. Everyone knows it. But that's very telling of our city that we really need to focus and work on that and become an actual community. And that means seeing everybody. Yeah, he, he sort of threw that out as a... Like he wasn't trying to make a point. No, really, of no, that. It was you know, just he wasn't saying, passing. "Oh, look at this." It just, yeah, like it, it didn't seem like a big deal to him, but it was a curious thing, you yeah. know. And it, it occurred to me that, like, had I been or had you been in Somalia, because of the culture there, like in the the hospitality of of that region, of the religious traditions there, I mean, immediately you meet somebody, they invite you into their house. Mm -hmm. Like that's what they that's do. Their culture, yeah. And here, for whatever reason. 
that that has been sort of a a struggle or a, a roadblock for him, like seems really noteworthy, mm-hmm. you know, that the religious traditions around here value hospitality and kindness uh, just as much. But for whatever reason, you know, it hasn't translated into here, come into my house. Uh, yeah, I think it's as long as it's in our comfort zone. Mm-hmm. And we are very hesitant to push outside of our comfort zone. And it's not necessarily intentional or hate. It's just everyone's going about their lives and they know their little circle of people and they stick with that little circle of people. And it's comfortable and it's easy. And I think Amarillo needs to to get a little bit more adventurous. Yeah. That's one reason I I started the podcast was so that we would hear in depth from people that we didn't often hear from, mm-hmm. you know, whether it's somebody who's in a leadership role, somebody who's doing something quiet within a neighborhood, somebody who's very successful or somebody who's like just gotten out of jail. I mean, we had all those kinds of people on the podcast and it, it's kind of in a way it's me forcing myself to talk to people that I otherwise might not have met or interacted with or had the opportunity to know because once I have a recorder and some microphones and stuff like it, it legitimizes whatever we're doing. And so it's as much for me as anybody else, but I, I like that it is starting those conversations or forcing maybe some of those conversations mm-hmm. that people would not have had otherwise. I mean, I, I'm not going to walk into a neighborhood. I don't know. And just start knocking on doors and talking to people. Tell so. me about your history. Why are you here? Yeah. 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 They're going to look at me like I'm a crazy tourist. So it's a good gateway into finding people that are willing to talk to strangers and open up their neighborhood to new people. Has there been any episode that you've edited uh, the past six months or so that has been like a particular challenge to you? Like just like technically mm-hmm. um, with, because I, you know, sometimes I throw a lot of stuff at you. Sometimes they're real easy and sometimes they're not. Well, there was that one time you didn't have your microphone on. Yeah. That we can talk about that now. Okay. I didn't. So the Annette Carlisle episode, Ooh. I recorded months and months ago, and I sat on it for a long time because I realized right after we had recorded that my mic wasn't on. Hers was, and I could hear my questions through her mic. Thank goodness. Yeah. So I knew what my questions were, but I also knew that I did not have a good recording. So my stupid solution to that <laughs> was to transcribe all of my questions and then to re-record all those questions, acting them out pretty much. To varying degrees of um, some of them were really skill. I'm I'm not the best actor, (laughs) Uh, and then handing it to you and saying, "Here, please help me." Um, It was it was a fun challenge. It really was, and I mean, I encourage anyone to go back and listen to parts of it just to see if you can tell, because I'd be interested to know. Well, and I've asked people when they've mentioned that episode. I've I've said, "Hey, did anything strike you in that one?" Nobody has heard it. Oh wow! Even Amy, my wife, who knew the situation. Mm-hmm. Um, and she knows your voice. And she knows, she knows my voice. Yeah. She, But she listened to it. Like if you're listening to it like with earbuds and it's really in your ear, you don't have anything competing, you can tell some difference. Mm-hmm. She was listening to it just from her phone, like on a countertop, and she said it all sounded normal. So That's I think a lot of it depends part. on how in-depth your, your listening is. That, um, one, was, that, was, yeah. that one was hard for me. It was harder for you. And I am so grateful that... I think I proved my worst yeah, on that one. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. But I mean, otherwise, it's it's not a lot of technical work. It's just, you know, cutting here and there. And every now and then there is a guest that has a lot of uhs and likes and ums. And 
coughing fits. And every week I have those same things without the coughing uh-huh. fits, but I have my own ver- verbal tics that you, you take one. out. Yeah. Yeah, I, <laughs> I'm going to leave that I'm in. sure I do. <laughs> leave it in. People can hear it. I stutter when I talk or when I introduce a, a question sometimes. You, I sort of stutter my way into the question. Same word over and over. Right. For about... So do you do you do you like that? And I'll, yeah. I'll finally get to do you think this. No, I just cut a few of the do yous out and we're yeah. good. Yeah. Well, I appreciate that. But yeah, people don't know that they have those crutch words or whatever they are. Oh, everyone does. But they don't realize how often they use them yeah. until they hear themselves recorded. And we take a lot of those out. And you can tell the people that have been in an industry where they're in front of crowds a lot, where they have to speak in front of people because they do it less. Mm-hmm. Or they have a way of not doing it where instead of saying, uh, they'll say, and, and that's a great transition. Like I don't have to cut as much of that out. So it's definitely an experience thing. You just kind of learn it. And some of the guests I've had have been people that speak in front of crowds mm-hmm. or speak in boardrooms or whatever. Reagan, the, the one you just Yeah, like did. Reagan. Um, yeah, fantastically easy. Others who are fine at having a conversation, but like the idea that it's being recorded or that there's some structure to it like mm-hmm. that is intimidating. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you've got uh, this big blue microphone in right, your face. Right, right. Tell me, tell me about... See, I just did it. Yeah. Um, just keep them all in. <laughs> I'm going to this time. Tell me about your workflow. So I give you something that I've recorded. It's usually about 45 to 50 minutes, depending on the guest. What, like, what's your process of editing that, and how long does it take you? Oh, you know, I'll wait a couple of days and then panic and realize I need to do it and get it to you. I work multiple jobs, so I fit it in as I can. So I might break it down into, you know... 30 minutes here, an hour here. And it doesn't usually take me more than three hours per episode. That one is uh, without your microphone on. That one definitely took a lot longer. But normally it's really easy. I go to Palace on Coulter and put in my earbuds and just edit away and take a break as I need to. I'm really lucky. I get to work from a coffee shop. Yeah. And just so people know you're not doing this full-time, tell Tell me or tell the listeners what else you do. So I am a photographer and I also do marketing. So I work for different companies around Amarillo. I work for a med spa called Progress MD. I do their marketing and photography. I work with Sad Monkey Media doing photos for restaurants around town. And then I do my own freelance photography. And do you have any interest in starting up podcast editing as a as a separate you branch what? of what you do? Or is this enough that you have? Dexter actually kind of struck a bug inside of me that we don't have anything like that in Amarillo. There's not a specific company that offers, you know, editing or marketing or anything else like that. So I've been thinking about it, but I would really have to do that full time. Yeah. And it is... That's a lot of... A lot of work, especially if yeah. it's a weekly show or something that's going to Yeah, and it really fries much. your brain after. Yeah. You know, if I've had a podcast episode where I need to get it to you and I spend the straight three hours, by the end of it, my brain is melting out of my ears. So to do that full time might drive me insane. I'm not sure. Well, we can, <laughs> we can talk about that more and, and I'm sure you'll hear from a lot of other people um, yeah. starting podcasts now that... We spilled the beans on, yeah, on what you do. That's fine. Has has there been anything else uh, to just close up? I, I appreciate that you were a listener 
to the podcast before you appeared on it. Is being involved in the degree and the depth that you are, does that, has that changed your perspective about like the show or about the people or about some of the issues that we talk about? It's honestly just made me feel a little bit more connected to my city. I am very, I've, I've been feeling a little more alienated because I work by myself. So it's harder to be involved with people on a day-to-day basis. So to get to hear these uh, intimate conversations with some of the most brilliant, talented, active people in our city has made me feel more connected. And I know that works for other people too. They get to get inside the minds of people they've only seen from a distance. And I think that's really what this podcast is about. I think that's why it's important for our city. Well, Angelina Marie, thank Mm -hmm. you for being the uh, most important person behind the scenes of this podcast. (laughs) Thanks. 100 episodes. 100 episodes. Let's do 100 more. Okay. This week's episode is sponsored by Wick Realty. And I have two things I want to say about Katie Wick and her team. Number one, I've bought and sold two homes since I launched this podcast. And that's a long story. But Wick was involved with buying and selling both of those. They're good. And that's a personal endorsement from me. Number two, Katie emailed me within a few hours of the very first episode being released. That's back in late September 2017. And she wanted to know how her company could sponsor the show. They were my first unsolicited sponsor. And for that reason, I I truly appreciate those guys. So you can learn more at wickrealty.com. That's W-I-E-C-K. Today's guest is Dexter Kearley. Now, Dexter is a local firefighter. He's been doing that for the last decade, and he's also the host of Panhandle Primate Podcast. Now, when I was thinking of starting an interview show with local people, I did a quick Google search to see if anybody in Amarillo was already doing it, to see if anybody was even podcasting regularly. I found a few, um, but the only one that was doing something similar to what I had in mind was Dexter. He had just started. He only had three or four episodes out. But he was also having conversations with local people. Now, Dexter and I have really different styles as podcast hosts, so I didn't think we would really be too much competition with each other, although I figured we might, you know, overlap sometimes with with some of our guests, and, and that has been true. But both of us have coexisted in this space, carving out our own audiences over the past couple of years, and and we've become friends since then. I've appeared on his show. Uh, And I figured my 100th episode was the perfect time to return the favor. So here's Dexter of the Panhandle Primate Podcast. Dexter Keerley, welcome to the Hey Amarillo Podcast. Jason Boyette. Happy to be here. (laughs) Well, I'm I'm glad you're here. I've wanted to talk to you. Like, you've been on my list since, almost since the beginning. Mm. Because when I launched this podcast, I, you know, like anyone would do, did a quick Google search to see if there were any other Amarillo podcasts. Did I pop up on that? You did. Really? I discovered you. I mean, I didn't discover you. You had already done a couple of episodes. Okay. It wasn't much. Yeah, no. Just a handful when I launched, and I was like, oh, man, there's already somebody doing what? Yeah. Because you take a person who lives here, and you, for the most part, you're interviewing them. And so uh, we were doing the same thing, and I thought, I need to see who this guy was. Yeah. And not long after that, you invited me to be on your show. Well, see, I had the exact same experience. I Googled you. I Googled... Well, I didn't Google you. I Googled... Amarillo podcast. That's all I did. And Hey, Amarillo podcast popped up. I already had some episodes out when you did it. 
just to say, like, I think you maybe were on like seven or eight whenever I finally came around to like making the smart uh, investigative like move of like Googling it, you know, like I was, I was probably already doing it for a little while before I realized that that would be beneficial. But then that's how I found Jason Boyette, Hey Amarillo podcast. Yeah. And so we've, we've been, uh, friendly competitors, I guess. Yeah. I'm trying to remember which episode you were. It on. was pretty early. Yeah. I, Five I or actually six, should maybe. have written that down, but yeah, it was definitely right. like in the top 10, I think. I, I want to talk about that and your show. I also want to talk about what you do and, and all that stuff. But like the first thing I like to ask my guests is how you ended up here in the first mm. place. So like what brought you to Amarillo? So the Kearleys, the Kearley side of my family has been here for a really long time. I think my great granddad moved here to build crates, I think at like Pantex or may, I don't even think it was Pantex at the time. It was probably just the air base. Right. But he moved here like literally just to build crates. Like to, a specialty crate builder? I mean, was well, that his, I don't know if it was, was even, a carpenter? Or? I don't even know if there were special crates. They were just like, he was, it was just like a job, like working in a warehouse, basically building crates or whatever. And so he moved to Amarillo for that. And then, uh, my granddad was born here. And then my dad's generation was born here. And my granddad worked out at the helium plant mm -hmm. for like 30 something years or whatever. And, um, and then of my dad's siblings, two of them are still in Amarillo. One of them's up in Denver. Uh, but pretty much all of them are here, which is kind of interesting. Like yeah. you have several generations that just stayed in Amarillo. And then my mom's family, my granddad was first generation American and my grandma I actually went when she got her citizenship. She was born okay. in Mexico. Wow. And they kind of, they were migrant workers. So they would work in this area and then they would work down in the valley. Right. Near Edinburgh. And they just, through the years of going back and forth, like bought a house and settled in Hereford. So my grandma and grandpa had all like reared all their children in Hereford. And I don't think, I think maybe I have one aunt still in Hereford, but. They kind of migrated to Amarillo as everything like flows together. Right. So, did you grow up here? Uh, up until the second grade. So, I actually went to Olson Park Elementary School to the second grade, and then third grade, I moved to North Carolina from, you know, third grade till junior year of high school, and then I moved okay. back junior year of high school, and I've been back here ever since. What was it like coming back in the middle of high school? Man, it I mean, was, did, did it feel like the Amarillo you knew when you were a kid, or was it like? That just kids don't know. You know? I, I don't know. It's actually second really, grade's pretty early too. Yeah, it's hard to say because Amarillo is a bit timeless in the fact that it does not change very much. Like I remember getting like KW root beer floats at what was that? Is that KW? KW root yeah. beer. Truly so, a bargain at today's prices. Yeah, for real. So I remember getting root beer floats there whenever I mean as early as I can remember, you know, and so it was kind of like returning to the familiar, even though I hadn't lived here in so long. But then there was like really stark differences. Like uh, North Carolina was a lot more diverse in like the mixing. My high school had pretty high Mexican population of actual Mexican migrant or like immigrants, you know? Okay. And then my school was like, the remainder, I think that was maybe like 15% was like Mexican or like first generation and then the remainder was like half white, half black. So whenever it's I moved, real diverse. Yeah, thing. whenever I moved here, it was like stark difference because it was like 
oh, you have the white high school. Yeah. You have the Mexican high school. You Where did you the, go to high school then? I went to Tascosa, which, which was, is pretty diverse yeah, it's for still, Amarillo high schools. So, and that, that was what was like so interesting to me is like I end up in Tascosa, which is still a pretty diverse population. And I don't necessarily think it was like a terrible thing. Like, I think it's kind of cool that each high school has its own culture to it. Yeah. Like, the kids at Caprock were different than the kids at Randall, culturally different. And even the white kids were culturally different than the white kids at Randall, you know? I mean, you're so, kind of bridging two different cultures there, yeah. you know, with your family and your heritage. Oh, yeah. So. Well, that, that's what's weird is my white side's really white and my Mexican side is like really Mexican. Like, my mom doesn't know what language she thinks in. Wow. You know? Because she grew up learning English at school and speaking English with her older siblings and then only speaking Spanish with her mom, you know, my grandma. But see, and then she has these reports from like schools in Hereford back in the day of like how Mexican kids were like actually oppressed, having to wear a dunce hat for speaking Spanish. Really? Like stuff like that. Wow. Yeah. So it's kind of, it is kind of interesting because I think people think that that kind of stuff is so far behind us, like mixing. But, you know, my mom grew up one way and then my dad grew up in Tascosa. Like he went to Tascosa. He graduated from Tascosa. So it's like I went, I graduated from the same school my dad graduated yeah, from. Yeah, yeah. And I actually think my granddad was Amarillo High, but back before it burned down. Yeah, so downtown, downtown Amarillo yeah, High. Whenever it was like really the only high school in yeah, the area was, before the this one. area exploded, did, you know. Did you know once you got to the end of high school, I mean, did you ever think I'm going to I'm gonna leave here and go someplace else? Did you kind of have an idea of what you wanted to do or? Yeah, sort of. I mean, it was kind of weird at the time I was kind of outdoors, like I was really outdoorsy did a lot of rock climbing, backpacking and the sort. Um, and yeah, I always imagined myself like moving to the mountains or moving this and that, but I kind of found a profession that could fulfill some of that with firefighting. So whenever I'm like an 18 year old kid, I'm sitting there thinking like, okay, I can take a risky move and go to the mountains right now. Right. Or I can grind it out, do a couple years at Emerald college, try to get hired on. And then I'll have four day breaks to drive right to these different areas. You so know? what was that decision to become a firefighter? Was it, I mean, driven by that flexibility that you saw or were you like one of those kids, you know, when you were five, you wanted to be a fireman? Well, I always, I've always had in the back of my head that that was like a distinct possibility of something I would do, like just military, uh, fire. I'm trying to think of a couple of the other ones, like just raw construction, mm -hmm. you know, like those were the kind of things that like, I was kind of telling myself that's, the curly side of my family build fences and rent houses and they're carpenters. Like my granddad, I remember he used to make these like Harry Potter house sets. Oh that, yeah. That people build at like craft fairs and stuff. He just sit in his shop all day, hmm. just cutting out ball, like well, a little heavier duty than balsa wood, you know? So I was always kind of like, okay, I'm going to do something. You didn't see like an office job no, in the future. No, I was just like, and, and that just didn't ever like fit me. So whenever I hit 18, I start thinking, like, I actually went to church with a couple of firemen, and then I had a cousin. We went into the fire academy together. So I was coming right out of high school, and I think I always had in the back of my mind, like, okay, maybe I'll do this school, and then I'll go get hired off somewhere else, or maybe I'll move. Or, but it's just like all these different doors kept opening in Amarillo, and it was just more advantageous yeah. to stay. So I've, I've never talked to... Uh, on this podcast to like anybody who's a first responder. So mm -hmm. no policemen, no uh, firefighters or anything. I get a sense that it's one of those careers that people 
see the fire stations, they may know a firefighter, you know, they see them on the trucks, but they don't really know like what it's like or mm. what you're doing from day to day or what your schedule's like. I mean, it's, it's one of those things, unless you're in it, it's, it's kind of a mystery. Yeah. Um, even though, you know, kids are reading firefighter books mm-hmm. all the time. So like, like tell people what it's like just for that to be your full-time job. I mean, what's your schedule like? What kinds of things are you doing from day to day? Well, so the schedule is 24-hour shifts. So like, for instance, this morning I got off work at seven o'clock. So I wake up at the fire station, uh, go home, you know, then go about the day. And then tomorrow morning, I'll go back to the fire station at seven o'clock until the next day. So Just 20, like a day on day off. Yeah. Day so on. it out of five days, you work every other day, and then you get a four day off. Okay. So three, and then you get a set of four, a block of four off. And uh, it works out to it's funny, because a lot of people are like, man, you don't ever work. But per hours per week, it works out to like something ridiculous. I can't, people are going to make fun of me for not knowing this because I should know how many hours a week I work, but it's. But like, you don't have like an eight hour day when no, you're on, no, it's you know, you're not hours. So, and it's like my, my work week is like 80 hours to 96 hours, you mm-hmm. know, like it's a, it's a high volume, but some of that's been sleeping, you know, right. We get to go to bed at the station and we just have to get up if there's a call. Yeah. And so you're, you're on call. And so it's not Mm -hmm. like you clock in and then you have all these things to do, or it's, it's also not like you're just sitting around for 24 hours either. I mean, it's, you don't really have that kind of schedule. You don't know what your day is going to be like any Well, that's the the weirdest thing is you, you may try to plan. And this has happened before where each station also has their own like technical specialty. So like at, I'm at fire station 13, which is uh, 45th between Bell and Coulter. All right. And we're the rescue station. So we do like high angle rescue, heavy rescue. So like if a uh, building collapse or, you know, lifting and moving and different stuff like that, uh, confined space, trench, you know. And so we'll have a day where we're like, okay, we're going to, we're not going to like go out of service to train, but we're going to train at the station and we're going to go over work in a basket or something. You right. Know? And so we'll be planning on doing that. Well, then a call comes in at 8.30, and then a call comes in at 10.30, and then you have to go get lunch and dinner uh, to cook at the station. And then you you start fixing. You get right to the end of, like, making the meal. You get called out. Right. You know, like you have a day where and, – and you might – and the, the most frustrating part, I think, doing that is sometimes it's not doing anything. Sometimes it's just like, okay, there's a car wreck at – I-40 and so on. Right. So we start that direction. Another truck gets there. They clear it. Everybody's okay. Everybody's fine. Okay, now we're just looping back to the station. Yeah. So then we spend like 20 minutes, 25 minutes just driving in a, in a truck, and then you're back at the station, you know? It's hard to have any sort of like set plan as to like what we're going to be doing. So it's that's it, kind of a fun but Yeah, I was going to say, is, is that something that is a net positive where you kind of enjoy having that flexibility or surprise, or is it... Well, I think... Like, it, are you a structured person who wants to... Oh, know? no, I'm not structured at all. <laughs> and I think that that's actually the problem is that that plays into, like, me perfectly. So, like, for instance, um, like, I have a blog on my website. I think... And I was actually, like, super depressed when I saw this, but I think the last time I posted on it was a year ago, like, over a year ago. I'll start, like, a, developing an idea, and I'll get the bones, and then I'll just... Forget about it. Yeah. You know, I'll just brush it. And the schedule actually fits me perfectly because it's like, I can be working on something and then I go do something else. And then you're just looping back around. And then I come back and be like, oh, I forgot to do, I forgot to finish this. And then I can just like work on it. And the cool thing about being at a station with other guys, it's funny because we're all starkly different. I like to think that I'm the only Dexter on the fire department. 
but we're all the exact same person at the same time. Hmm. So if I walk in and I see some a job half done, I'm assuming, okay, whoever was doing that got called off to go do whatever, and so I'll just finish the job. So I'll finish putting trash bags in the trash can because it was halfway done. Or, right. So you're constantly, like almost you don't even circle back to a, to a task because you kind of assume by the time I get back to that task, somebody else is like you're working as a unit, yeah, a bunch of individuals. It, yeah, but it's all ve- and it's very task oriented. Yeah, uh, even like a fire scene is task oriented. Okay, we're gonna establish a perimeter. We're gonna see if there's any. You know, we're gonna see what we got. We're gonna pull a hose to here. We're gonna do this. This other crew is doing this, accomplishing all these tasks. And if it's a good fire, every task lines up. It's a unit mm-hmm. move. It's fun. It's kind of a creative job. But in a lot of ways, it's very structured, and so I don't know. It's a, it's interesting. It's and you've weird. you've done this for how long? Uh, Ten years. Dude. Have you been August, okay. August uh, of '09 is when I got hired on. So have August you been at the same station the whole no, time? No, I've I've been kind of I've been on the same shift. I've been at several different stations. I've been like Central. I was there for a while, which is the downtown right. station, and then I've been at two, which is Thirty Fourth and Swansea. Uh, and then I was at nine. Then they built thirteen. I moved to thirteen. Back to two. Back I, to thirteen. I know each of them like has their own specialty. Like, do the different stations have a reputation within the firefighter community? Like, well, you know, the central one's going to get these kinds of calls more likely, mm. or you know that, you know, thirteen, you might deal with a lot of car wrecks. Oh yeah, something. see, that's the that's what's interesting is like central is where the guys who would say like I want to fight fire. Okay, you're going to want to be at central or seven or four because they're dealing with like older structures yeah that it's are... older structures it's a higher homeless population it's a lower income portion of the community so you get these like some uh, a structure that has not had a a certified person working on it for 40 years and then something sparks off it's mostly timber it's maybe doesn't get seen quickly over here fires get right. reported quickly over there a fire might burn for a little bit. So I don't know. It's just kind of interesting. That's really the side of town you want to be on if you're really wanting to be like quotes busy, okay. which that that is every fireman's like you want to be a fireman. You don't want to be like changing trash bags at the right. station all day long. Right. That's See, not the, why. And there at. are some stations in town that are just slow stations. Right. People don't call nine one one over in this area as much, you know. But a lot of the places of the station are based off, like, insurance numbers. Okay. Like, insurance ratings for the city. Mm-hmm. So that's how a lot of, like, the city council and stuff, they can justify building a new station. Because they're like, okay, it might elevate your taxes this much, but it'll drop your insurance this okay. much. You know, it's so like... There's a, all these economic factors. Yeah, and- yeah. It's a balancing game, and it's... That's what the fire chief and the fire admin is all trying. It's about, you know, it's like, how can we make sure any citizen dialing 911 gets CPR as fast as possible? Okay. Right. So it's like, okay, well, we need, we have a very low call volume over here. But if we do have a call over here, how can we make sure that we have a truck there properly? So as a as a firefighter sometimes you get stuck at a slow station right you know but say i'm at this station which you think is a busy station we run some uh, car wrecks and we run hardly any fires really uh, a lot of medical calls but we are like order of magnitude slower than central is but we're busier because we have like a uh so our um specialty is rescue and there's just a lot of little stuff 
that if you're not, I've been in the program for a while and there's stuff like you have to like look at stuff consistently, Mm -hmm. like just because you, you'll forget like the simplest thing. Like you might forget how to tie a knot because I haven't tied it because I haven't needed it. Yeah. So you've got to maintain the skills and the knowledge. And so it's a lot busier. Like we have a lot more training days. We have a lot more days. Like that's one of the things I do on my Instagram is whenever we're out training, I'll like put video. Uh, So under rescue is also like cutting up vehicles. So anytime there's a demonstration, 13 and three fire station three get to get, get to be the ones that they call out to to jaws of life. Yeah. To cut open a car. And did do like a side removal and show how we would jack a dash and show how we would just do these different things. And a lot of it's public education because if you're in a car wreck and all of a sudden you hear, you know, loud noises and then you hear these tools are pretty heavy duty and big. So if you're seeing somebody like hoisting this big heavy machine, you want to make sure that they are not going to like drop it on you, that they practice and they know what they're doing, right, you know? Right. So we do a lot of demonstration and that kind of helps to keep the person calm, maybe okay. in the vehicle or whatever. But, uh, but so that's the, the downside to station 13 is we're not as busy running calls, but our level of training or getting called out to do training kind of goes up. So every station has that balancing act though, because there's some good things about a, a specialty. There's some bad things about a specialty. It's all a balancing act. How many guys are, are at the station at one time? Or how so many firefighters? There's single company stations, which house four. Okay. And then there's two company stations, which house two trucks, which is eight. And then there's two stations that house chiefs, 13 in downtown. So, so those places have nine. Okay. So like so the station you, I'm at has nine. You've guys. got nine and, and it's a rotating nine. So not everybody's all there at once. Um, yeah, each shift. So then there's three shifts. Okay. So there's three sets of nine guys. So it's, it's not the same nine all at once, but like you end up as the shifts rotate with, with some of well, with everybody I, there. I'm or? there the same crew every day. Okay. I'm B shift. So 13. your three guys are like. The three that you're you're always there together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I'm I like tomorrow I will go to work and I will have all the same guys unless one is sick. Okay. You know? And then each shift has that. And then you have swing guys, which is like just a guy that basically it's like, uh, so and so sick today, we'll send this person okay. over there to be a hoseman. You know. Does that I mean you've you've got your own family at home, but you know, you're spending twenty four hours at a time with you know, with other firefighters, does it develop sort of like a, a secondary family kind oh, of situation? Oh, yeah. It's, it's, you can't get away from each other, yeah, you know? And it's, so. it's far more complicated than a secondary <laughs> family because you're also friends, you know? Right. Like, so I've been on 10 years. I've been married. Eey, I'm going to mess this up, but I think six. I, I just rely on my calendar. I'm like, oh, anniversary's coming up. So I've, I've known like some of the guys I've worked with, like I've worked with them or been stationed with them periodically for the past 10 years and that's so that's a third of that time yeah because i spend a third of my life at the fire station so a third of my last 10 years has been spent for 24 hours with the same guys you know so yeah you develop this uh interesting where and it's over this long period of time so it's more of like a brother in the sense that you've seen their good side Mm -hmm. when they're at their best and you've seen them at their worst yeah and you've been annoyed by them, and you've been inspired by them. You've been and, in high-stress situations yeah, with you, them, which is been, always and bonding. And you've seen, like, I know how a person is going to react before the circumstance even happens. Right. And I know how to, like, read them. 
and I know how to tell based off of how they're acting. I know how to act. So like there's a way that an officer looks at a situation where, you know, okay, I'm going to be a little bit more on my toes hmm. because of the snap of the head yeah. or because even with of, all the gear that you guys are wearing, yeah, I mean, you can it, still tell yeah, that body you, language. Oh yeah. You can definitely, I mean, and, and it's even like driving you, like we listen to voices on the radio all day and I can tell if a car wreck is bad based off of how the guy is reporting it wow, on the okay. radio because, and I know, cause I know them. You, you hear know? a little, a little more intensity. In yeah. The way or, that they... or you can kind of tell like, Oh, he's keying the mic up and the siren's still on. So before the driver has time to shut the siren down, he's pulling his mic up to report something. So that shows like a sense of urgency. Yeah. You okay. know? And, and so it's like little bitty things like that. And then, you know, a lot of the guys I got hired on with, like some of them are my officers now. So like they've risen through the ranks, you know? And so it's just cool to have one group of guys that doesn't change very often at all. And then you get to see each other like progress through life at the station as well as, hey, so-and-so just had a baby. You know, like one of the guys, Kyler, just had a baby a couple of days ago. Okay. You know? And you, you've, you've got your own. Yeah, you know, I got six a six-week old, old. And, you know, so, you you know, and there's some guys that, like I, I worked with a guy yesterday. I haven't worked with him in three years. But instantly it was like sliding right back in with knowing each other instantly. But you're still right there. It's not like you yeah, have to... you're right up to speed. You don't even miss a step. You you might even still make fun of him about something that you probably would be insensitive and make fun of him about. Right. Without even. But it's cool, you know, because yeah, you don't even think about it. Yeah. In three years since you've seen that him. brotherhood sort of. Yeah. Thing. Yeah. You're in there. Let's uh let's shift gears a little bit. I I want to ask you, you know, as a fellow podcaster uh, and someone who talks to Amarillo people, like like tell me about your show and why you started it. So I started my show because I wanted to do something. And I was telling a lot of people, man, you should start a podcast, man, you should start a podcast, but I don't have a podcast. So how am I telling somebody it's easy? So one of the reasons I started it was to inspire other people. Man, you know, you hear people all the time and you're like, people always say, nobody says this, Mm -hmm. you know, or nobody stands up for this. There's nobody nobody in Amarillo who thinks this thing. Yeah, exactly. And it's like, but you think it, how are you so sure that the person next to you doesn't think you think a different way if you're not telling them you know so that's part of the reason i wanted to start a podcast was to create a platform for people to say what they actually think or Mm -hmm. to to give a report you know like a kind of an unadulterated report a state of the union so to speak you know and um and also like my goal at the beginning the tagline which i don't know if i ever used was i was going to interview people who should have their own podcast so okay. it's like a podcast of people who should have their own podcast right um, which is a cool approach to it yeah yeah and and i i feel like i've achieved that like almost every single person that i've had you know will have this like two-hour conversation and i've gotten better at having a conversation since i had you on the show like i was you learn a lot about yourself oh and yeah how you speak yeah. and what your your faults and your you know things that you're insecure about that you don't shouldn't be insecure about and things that you're not insecure about that you should be insecure about so but, you know, at the end of every podcast, the person always says, wow, that went by quick. Right, like, right. Wow. And everybody says the same thing beforehand. They say, there's no way I could do two hours. There's no way I would have enough to talk about. So they always have one thing that they go in believing, and then they get out of it thinking, man, I can do two hours. That's not that big of a deal. You know, I didn't even realize it went by, you know. So that was kind of my my inspiration behind it. And also just the fact that, like, 
number one, I like to have conversations with people. And I thought that like podcast was a good opportunity, a good way of meeting people with like the presumption of I'm going to harvest information from you. Right. Like I don't necessarily care about, which sounds really aggressive. I'm going to harvest something from you. Yeah. It sounds aggressive, but that's what I think it's the value. You harvest things of value from people, you know? So it is, it's one of those things like I'm going to objectify you and define what your value is to me. And then I'm going to pull it out. And then I'm going to publish it. Okay. You know, like kind of, because you're not publishing it. So I'm going to publish it. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, this person doesn't have their own podcast, you know, right. even though they should. So, right. So it was kind of like, I've gone back and forth with like the moralistic factors of like, is that morally okay to like harvest stuff from people, like to take something from somebody in order to project it? Um, but th- there's also a giving that you're doing and that you're giving them a platform that maybe they haven't had. You're right, giving them an yeah. audience that's already baked in. They didn't have to go find. Right. And so exactly. there's, there's a give and take. You yeah, know? it's definitely, it's definitely give and take. And yeah. T- tell me like for someone who hasn't, <clears throat> I- I'm sure that we have some overlap between our podcasts, people who mm. listen to both. Yeah. Okay. But I, I know there are some who listen to yours that don't listen to me. Some who listen to mine don't listen to probably, yours. Probably so, the second one's well, probably more. <laughs> we, we, we don't ever compare numbers, you know. <laughs> Keep that out of our relationship. But, like, how would you describe what your show is and, and some of the ways maybe that it's different from what I do? Because we both talk to people yeah. and get them to tell mm-hmm. what they're passionate about. But, like, tell me about your style. So... Which it's actually interesting. My wife and I were just talking that it's funny that you called when you did because I'm a little bit in the process of reformatting, like restructuring what I'm doing because she started. Well, one reason was because she was like, okay, you and Jason are doing the same thing. Only Jason's doing it better. Well, you know, well, and it, she's and very kind. No, and it's true. It's true because like the reason somebody's going to tune into my show is not because I'm a, a eloquent uh, interviewer. So I think one of the things about my show is um, I'm a very like sporadic, sporadically minded person to where I love like uh, the second an idea excites me, I like to really dive into that right. specific well, idea. Well, your, your like bio description says that you're a walking digression, yeah, which I, I think, I mean, is, is an accurate, yeah, it's you can go in a lot of different rabbit trails exactly. and you can talk intelligently about whatever that rabbit trail might be, which is always impressive to hear. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I uh, thank you for that. Well, uh, some, you know, sometimes... Uh, I've heard you get into like really deep intellectual, you know, topics. And I'm just like, man, he just stepped right up to that. Yeah. Was- well, seeing that, I think that that's what's funny is, so the reason I never did well in school was because the teacher would not excite me. Most of the time, the teacher wouldn't excite me. And if I'm not excited, I'm typically checked out. But the second that I'm excited about something, I can dive dive down that digression mm-hmm. in, a, in an aggressive manner and say, okay, well, you know what? I mean, like, for instance, with this kid, I've been, like, watching ridiculous amounts of ancient architecture. Like, there's this YouTube channel called Ancient Architects. Okay. And I've been watching a ridiculous amount of it. So I know, like, right now I'm, like, fresh on... What, like, Mayan civilizations? Well, and- well Mayan, Egyptian, and then just, like, uh, Incan and pre-Incan, like, megalithic structures and, like... The fact that you can like most megaliths, which whenever they're we'll just take a little digression here. Yeah, we'll take a little digression just to explain to explain the. So, but a lot of structures they they don't zoom in on them when they show you them in the history books. They stay zoomed out. Okay. So when so you get you see the full structure, right? And it's like wow, pyramids at Giza and the Sphinx. 
it's amazing, right? Right. But then you zoom in and you actually see like a whole nother level of intricacy because there's different periods of construction on the same megalithic sites. And see, that's why I knew you would be a good guest on the show because I haven't had any guests who talked about ancient, yeah. you know, construction techniques, and I, I knew that we'd end up there. Yeah, well, you do. Well, no, oh, not that specifically, but I figured we would find a rabbit trail yeah. Yeah. and find our way down it. See, I think that's metaphorically um, kind of is is what I love about podcasts. Anyway, is that you see a person, you think, oh, well, that guy is a business owner, and he does this thing, mm-hmm. and so we see like the big megalithic structure right and what a podcast allows you to do whether you're talking for 40 minutes on my show Mm -hmm. or two hours on your show is you get into some of those details that nobody knows right we just see you as an entrepreneur or as a firefighter or whatever Mm -hmm. and you you get into like those tiny intricacies that make people interesting you know yeah yeah the grease between the fold yeah you know like the mechanic that's all greased up and then he washes his hands but he's he can't yeah, get that he, grease. He's you still know? got those little... Yeah, but you have to look really hard to find that, yeah. you know? Well, it adds some texture. Yeah, you know? yeah, for sure. But, like, all that rewound to say, like, part of the reason I wanted to start a podcast was because I listened to a lot of Joe Rogan's podcast. I would see him having conversations with all these people, and I was like, that would be rad to be able to have a conversation with that person. And so part of me starting a podcast was me hoping that someday I could get big enough to where I could literally have a conversation with anybody I chose. Okay. You know? Because you've sort of got that platform to exactly. legitimize it. I exactly. Guess, in a way. It was legitimized, even though the Pan on Primate podcast in a lot of ways was ill thought out, a lot of ways was underproduced, and a lot of ways was like, you know, I've had a lot of people say, like, oh, dude, I listened to five minutes of your episode <laughs> yeah. and I couldn't take any more. Right. <laughs> and I'm like, I mean, but that, the best part was in the last hour exactly, and 55 minutes. Exactly. Man. That's that's the hard part about it. But it was kind of like I wanted to be able to tap people on the shoulder and say, hey, have a conversation with me. And mm-hmm. it's like there's a little bit more context than this random person is tapping my shoulder. Now it's like, oh, Oh, he has a podcast. That's Dexter. He has a podcast. Yeah. Like, you right. know, and then and then I have a context at which to have, like, for instance, Shake Hands Amarillo. You have all these guys playing ping pong together. It's a context to have a conversation. Right. Right. It does like Or you might not have met each other you would not anywhere have, yeah, else. Yeah, you wouldn't have met each other. But now, okay, I'll I'll serve you. And then you and then at the end of it, you shake hands, maybe drink a beer, chit chat about not ping pong. Yeah. Nobody around. Nobody. Nobody's out, talking ping pong unless nobody, you're playing ping pong. Unless you're playing ping yeah. pong. Yeah. Everybody else is talking about a project that they're working on, or their work, or their family, or their church, or uh, or their lack of church. You know. I mean. So I think that that's kind of interesting. Is it just kind of gives you that context? I wanted to have a defined identity context that okay. I could present to people in order to extract and. More about Amarillo, but also more about like our generation, our like uh, strata, you know, like we're going to all be like this digital strata mm-hmm. that is going to get buried on top of. And then they're going to come back a hundred years from now and say, what was the 2019 yeah. strata, right? I hope that if they look at the Amarillo 2019 strata, they'll say, okay, well, we got the, we got the Hey Amarillo podcast. We got the Panel Primate podcast. We've got these various bands that we're publishing here. We've got all of this, um, pro-Trump rhetoric. We've got all of this uh, subversive Bernie rhetoric. You yeah. know, we've got, it, it like layers it, you know? Okay. So maybe just to be part of the conversation. So you've, you've, most of your guests are from Amarillo or connected to Amarillo. Can you say like, are there some things that you've learned about the city just by talking to people who live here and have something to say? 
Mm. You know, because you grew up here, yeah, spent most of your life here. Um, but are, are you learning like new things, or is it giving you a new perspective? Well, I think there's there's two parallel perspectives that I'm gaining. One is the city realizing what the city is, and then two is me realizing what I am. You okay. Know? So there was a period where I couldn't see the really cool aspects of Amarillo because I was so blinded by the bad sides of Amarillo okay. or like what I would deem the bad sides of Amarillo, you know, whether it be uh, no mountains or whether it be, um, can't do much about that one. Yeah. You can't do much about that, but, but you know, I mean, and a lot of them, I even think back on them and it's like, it doesn't even make sense why I was like, thought that was such a bad aspect of Amarillo. But I think one of the things that I uh, have realized about Amarillo is that most cool people or people that I think have a lot to, bring to a culture they instantly assume before they even try to bring it that it won't be received that nobody here will will receive it and they instantly start saying well once i get to denver yeah i'll be this so they're kind of editing I, themselves yeah, or censoring the exactly. good stuff they're saying like once i get to dallas i'll be this or i'll do this or uh, my life will be like exponentially better mm-hmm. you know because i'll be in dallas and it's like okay well have you tried doing any of that in Amarillo? Because like shake hands, Amarillo is a perfect example of uh, some guys that were gathering in their garage just to have fun. And then they give it a little bit of fuel. They blow on it, you know, and now it becomes a fire. You right. Know? And it taps into all these different people that say, wow, that's something I'm interested in. Just getting together and hitting a ping pong ball. You yeah. Know? And it, so it brings together its little community, but if they said, man, if I was in Dallas, I would start a ping pong. But Amarillo... Yeah, Amarillo Dallas probably can't. has a cool ping pong scene. Yeah, you, know. Ping, you know, and so it's just kind of one of those things of always like passing the buck. I think a lot of people do that on Amarillo. They like, they start to say Amarillo doesn't have this, so I'm going to go here for it, you know? And um, one of the things I've learned through my guests to get back to the question is that, uh, that there's a lot of talent in Amarillo. There's a lot of nuance in Amarillo. Uh, to be able to like define Amarillo as the or to be able to say an Amarillo person is this, mm-hmm. it doesn't work because um, it's it's just so funny too with like some of the guys I work with to some of the guys that I some of the people I've podcasted with where they might see a division or like a a difference, mm-hmm. but I see the exact same Amarillo mindset, like the exact same tendencies. Um, on a lot of things, it's like on surface, maybe we look different, but it's all, it's like a river all flowing the same direction. You know, you can't really choose where you're, where you're going. What what is like, is there, you talk about that Amarillo mindset. I mean, can you say that it, it is this thing that, that this is sort of what they have in common, or this is the direction that that river's flowing? Is it an independence or, you know, do it yourself kind of mentality? I mean, is there some way to swamp everybody together Ooh, so and this is would not sound good but i think it's like the negative negativity of the the mindset is almost what like unites them all it's like people instantly start analyzing how something will fail before they start saying why it would succeed okay you know so not not negative in the sense that they are negative people like if, if you say hey there's a free concert in the park and somebody in like Denver 
if there's a free concert in the park, we'll just be like, oh, yeah, let's just go to the concert in the park. But the person in Amarillo would be like, yeah, I don't know, man. It's like 98 degrees. There's mosquitoes have been bad. You know, the ground's probably going to be wet. You know, they, they'll like instantly go to like these, like, instead of just being like, oh, yeah, let's just go to the park. Like, yeah. You know, like, you, and you almost have to, the environment almost forces that play because there have been times where I've been like miserable, you know, in a circumstance. But it's like a, one of the things I say is if you're waiting for, a perfect day in Emerald to run, you're never going to run. Right. Because there's never like a perfect day in Emerald. I know they come occasionally, but you know, you have to just say, Hey, I'm going to run. Every, I'm going to run every day. And then you run every day. Hey, June jazz is in the park. You know, I'm going to go to June jazz. And then you get out there and maybe you'll leave. But yeah, so I that, I don't know if that even answers the question. Have you come across it? Have well, you come across I, like the Amarillo? I think kind of coming in, Along with what you're saying, there is that resiliency that if, let's say you're a runner, if you can run in Amarillo, you can run just about everywhere. Maybe not at elevation, but you can deal with wind, you can deal with heat, you can deal with cold, you can deal with really bad weather, Mm -hmm. lightning strikes, really hot weather. I mean, and so it makes you adaptable in that you can deal with a lot of things. And so, you know, if, if you can overcome, say, that negative mindset... You know, or feeling like there's nobody like you, or there's a lot of reasons this business won't work. Um, if you can overcome those things and do it in Amarillo, like you can do it because once you sort of get over those hurdles, there's a lot going for you. Mm-hmm. Here. You can, it's real easy to be the first person to do something here. Yeah. It's real easy to get the community behind you if you're doing something interesting, you yeah. know? And so that's true. I, I think it's a good place. Where maybe, yeah, there is that one big hurdle, but you get past that and and the resiliency, the independence of this area, I think kind of kicks in. I had some friends who moved up here from San Marcos. It was one of the times that I was like that, the proudest of being an Amarillo person was like, they were like dying. Like it, it looked like a, like a lizard who got caught out on the sidewalk in the sun. Yeah. Like they're just, their lips were cracking you know, like their mouth was constantly dry. Their eyes were, you know, they're like chapsticking all the time, but they're, you know, everything's just, just dried out and just, they're just like fried. And I remember thinking like right then, it's like, okay, we've lived in the same city for a week and it's like killing you. Mm-hmm. And I don't even notice that. I actually thought it was a pretty nice week, you know? Yeah. So it, it was like, that was one thing I would have to say is like, that made me like really proud of being from Amarillo or being an Amarilloan. It's like when, whenever I see people like come in for short stays and it just demolishes them, <laughs> you know? As I mentioned earlier, this week's episode is sponsored by Wick Realty. Katie Wick and her outstanding agents are invested in seeing Amarillo flourish economically and socially for all groups of people. I've been one of their clients. So if, if you're buying a home, selling a home, if you're building a home, if you're looking for investment property, or if you're a first-time homeowner, Talk to Katie Wick or visit wickrealty.com. That's W-I-E-C-K. Okay, I'm back with Dexter Kearley of uh, the Amarillo Fire Department and the Panhandle Primate Podcast. Yes. Dexter, this is the part of the show I call Eight Straight. As my guest, I'm going to ask you eight straight questions. Your job is to answer those in as much detail as you can. Yeah. Well, not as much detail as you can, because I know you could go into incredible detail yeah, on some of these. Long-winded. Um, yeah, but in some detail. So the first one, this is not one I've asked anybody, obviously, um, but what's the best way for a local to show appreciation or gratitude to firefighters? So, you know, we talk a lot about honoring, 
you know, first responders and stuff. Like, what's a good way to do that? So uh, I thought about this for a little while to, because, you know, whenever you broadcast something out, you want to be yeah. careful what you're broadcasting. And I bounced off a couple of guys. And, you know, the overwhelming majority of guys, everybody was like, well, they already do a pretty good job okay. of showing appreciation. I mean, we constantly, when we're walking up and down the aisles, people are saying thank you. People are happy to see us pull up. And they're usually, as long as everything's okay, mm-hmm. pretty happy when we're leaving. You know, we have good rapport. So one thing I'd say is that the community is already pretty gracious. And some of the ways they already say thank you is they say thanks whenever we're shopping. Um, they bring stuff by. And so like a good couple of examples of stuff brought by is like, so water, we actually have to provide our own water on the trucks. So like we have the- Like water bottles? Yeah, water or- bottles. So like we've had people, and and typically we don't end up providing it because somebody from the community will like bring us like a couple of flats of water hmm. bottles, you know? Okay. And it, which actually was like, I'm always surprised by people's thoughtfulness. I'm like, yeah, I would have never thought to do that, but they'll bring a couple of cases of water. Um, it's just people like showing up at your Yeah, they'll just show up at the and, station yeah. and just knock, knock. Hey dude, I got four flats of water. It's like, oh, thank y'all very much, you know? And then uh, they also bring like snacks and treats by Sometimes like snacks has been, I I never thought I'd be in that stage of life again where I'd be like excited to see snacks. Yeah. But once I got on the fire department, you know, sometimes you end up on a call or bouncing or, you know, you don't necessarily get like long periods of time to eat sometimes. So like some snacks that you can just snag up and, and roll. Yeah. Out. It's that routine that's unpredictable. Yeah, so. exactly. So, so that's what people already do. And also one thing I would say is like, it is strangely satisfying to show kids tr- the truck okay so like if kids are like hey i want to see the truck like actually come up and ask the crew say hey will you show my kid the truck and uh in a strange way you know it's kind of one of those things that like it's really cool to see how into the truck how into your job the kids yeah it kind of validates it yeah, for, yeah yeah exactly so it's kind of one of those things like you get you know, and we usually do pretty quick we'll show the cab we'll show the jaws of life a lot of people like to see the jaws of life and like usually the pump panel and by then the kids like, yeah, I'm good. Like I saw a fire truck and they, you know, peace out. But that, that's one way that I would say that they could show appreciate or okay. some of the ways they could show appreciation. Cool. Um, yeah, I don't know if you'll an- answer this one or not, but who's one of the most interesting guests that you think you've had on your show? So I had it down, I had it down to two. I think pretty much all of my Amarillo people, I, I hold them all in the same regard of interest, okay. you know, like they're all. I think I actually am really proud of like my group of people I've interviewed. So I'd say everybody on my Amarillo level is the same. The the two that popped out to me that were really noteworthy was uh, Luke Stevenson. He was my number forty three episode. He was he won the Polidoro fifty miler. Okay, and he actually just like hurt his ankle pretty bad in the uh, Leadville one hundred at like mile wow. eight. He like wow. rolled his ankle and he's in a boot for six weeks or something like that. But he's an amazing runner. He's an Amarillo local who moved up. And then the other one I had was through um, Coben Puckett, yeah. our friend. Uh, Co, or he's been on both of our podcasts. But he had, for his event, he had Frank Newsom, the bullfighter, come okay. through. And uh, I didn't really know who he was. But Coben was like, hey, man, I got this guy you can have on your podcast. He's doing press for me. And I can just have him do your podcast soon. I had no idea how big of a deal he was and uh, how like wild uh, of like his like highlight reel is YouTube. Like you can like watch a, a 20 minute 
uh, real of him just getting launched by wow. bulls and like jumping in between a bull and a cowboy and just getting railed and run over. Dude's like a tank, you know? So I would say those two were like interesting in their uniqueness okay. to the show. Okay, cool. What's the most underrated aspect of living in Amarillo? So for me, um, and this has changed with my life stage now that I have kids because it's a great place to have kids. Um, but I think what was always underrated to me was the location. So in eight hours, you're in Denver. There's mm -hmm. a ton of great skiing, short drive away. New Mexico is amazing. So Colorado and New Mexico are both amazing. You've got hill country. That is a short drive. El Paso's eight hours. Yeah. And then you've got Oklahoma, which has Oklahoma City, as well as, I'm not a big fisherman, but it has a lot of big lakes that right. are great for fishing. So I, I don't fly very much. I don't hop on an airplane. I drive. Mm -hmm. So I go on a lot of trips, but I don't fly very often. They're all road trips. And Amarillo is like a perfect location for that because you can be in a variety of different locations. Okay. All different um, kinds of terrain. All different types of terrain from a centrally like cheap place to live. Okay. So that that's what I would say is underrated. What does this area have too much of? Horizontal obstructions. Okay. Like, so billboards and power lines. All right. It, you go a little bit outside of town and the sunrises and sunsets are just like very notable. I mean, right. internationally notable. And just these amazing. And like the cloud, the thunderheads we get. And I mean... You have a, a EA Burdett. Uh, do you know who he is? Mm -hmm. So he takes pictures of clouds all the time. Like that's one of the th main things in his uh, Instagram feed. So we have these amazing clouds, but a lot of people inside the city can't see them because, or they're obstructed by power lines. And I hate billboards. Yeah. I just hate billboards, man. Like there's just, I have like a personal vendetta against them because I feel like in a certain way they're like intrusive you know like I can't choose if I see a billboard it's just there yeah so this but guy, some cities have like regulations on yeah them, but. this guy can pay enough money to where he's just there <laughs> all the time you know I mean but so that's probably what I would say just because it's something that this area has like the best of in the world but it's often obstructed these things get in the way of it okay. a lot, you know what does the area not have enough of so the not have enough is bike lanes and pedestrian passageways. Like, I don't know uh, when the last time you've tried to cross I-40 on foot has been, but it is not. You shouldn't do that. Yeah, it's not. There's no real good spot yeah. to, to pass under I-40. Amarillo looks at like car vehicle traffic as the primary. This is what we're going to engineer everything around. Right. So like even in Olson, different places, like there are bike lanes that end when you get to the most dangerous spot, which is an intersection or a bridge crossing or something. So I think the Amarillo bike lanes are poorly planned out and they haven't been added to. In yeah, like, or they're non-existent. Yeah, they haven't been added to in like 16 years or something like that. And then you go to like rails to trails, that path, they're like spots and cracks in it. I mean, it's been there for how many years? It's a very... It's held up very well. It's yeah. a piece of infrastructure that we can invest in and will maintain its value for a long time, you know? And so that that's what I um, kind of passionate about. I wore my critical mass bomb city shirt today. Yeah. That's one of the things that even as a firefighter, I mean, uh, most like my kids highest likelihood of not graduating high school is that he's going to die in a motor vehicle accident before that. Wow. You know, like that's like the highest killer. Statistically, statistically that's, yeah. You know? And that's the greatest chance. So whenever my kid turns 16, 
I think it would be really cool if a viable means of transportation in Amarillo was just riding your bike. I would like that as an adult to Mm -hmm. increase my activity level. The majority of the medical calls that we go on are secondary to sedentary lifestyle choices. So I think um, we don't have enough encouragement and safe pedestrian passageways. Cool. How do you describe the city to people outside the area? So uh, the first thing my wife helped me with these was uh, <laughs> unassuming. So there's a lot going on. She's a linguist, we should say. Yeah, she I mean, she's she's yeah. good with the words. She's so. good with the words. But she was she said right off the bat, unassuming. She was like, most people would say there's nothing going on in Amarillo, but you look just below the surface and there's a lot of free stuff going on in Amarillo. My uh, mother-in-law lived down in Dallas and she was kind of remarking that it's hard to go anywhere because in order to go anywhere, you have to spend money. Right. Like that's the only thing getting you out. Amarillo has a lot of different things. I know we just had the last first Friday art walk for Sunset Center. They're closing that down. But, you know, I mean, from outdoor concerts to events to the city putting stuff on, Amarillo College putting stuff on, like even like the farmer's market. Granted, you're going to hopefully spend some money. But right. There's a but lot it's of, not admission money. I mean, right. You can, it's not admission money. So you you that's one thing that she was saying is just that there's a lot going on. You wouldn't think that there's that much going on. Uh, and then the other way I would describe it to people is dry, windy, and it's extreme. Okay. So like it's either extremely hot when it's hot or is it sh- extremely cold when it's cold. Whenever it varies, it varies a lot. And that keeps it interesting, I it think. It does keep you know? it interesting. That my, one of my favorite things to watch is a hat tumbling through a parking <laughs> lot. That's one of my favorite things. What's your favorite local restaurant? So I went uh, two on this one as well. Uh, 575 just because I have a long history with the place and I've always loved their pizza. Uh, but Yellow City Street Food yeah. as well, just for the, those are like two of the places that I feel like probably get recommended. Or at least I would think like, okay, you're just traveling through Amarillo. Make sure you hit Yellow City or 575. Yeah, like both that. are homegrown and both are yeah. unique places. And, and they're very representative of yeah. like Amarillo, like even the people that are working there. Last question. When was the last time you went to Paladura Canyon? So sadly, it was the spring trail run last year or the year before that. It might have been last year. Just with the kids. I haven't, you know, it's it's about a 30-minute drive to get down there. 30 minutes, so it's an hour trip. Um, But I'm running the 25K in October. Okay. So um, signed up for that. So I've got to get down there to get on the trails. Yeah, get a little uh, terrain in. Yeah, I used to go down there like twice a week, you know. Okay, so Dexter, that concludes the eight straight questions. I like to close by asking my guests to endorse something. Um, so what is one thing that you would want listeners to know about related to this area, to something they could experience, anything like that? Yeah, see, I keep sneaking multiple ones in I, on these just because... That's your thing, man. Yeah, but I think I would I would highlight uh, small communities, Shake Hands Amarillo being an example of that. There's a lot of these uh, of people putting feelers out, okay. you know, and I think people need to be less um, afraid of just like engaging with a group where you might not know anybody in okay. that group, you know. Uh, but then I'd have to say Refugee Language Project is another sure. one because it a lot of people imagine Amarillo to be very homogenized when in reality we have this extremely diverse uh, section of our city uh, and section of our population. 
uh, from the Burmese to the Somali to, I mean, name it almost. Right. And you, you volunteer with the organization, right? I mean, you not as much as my wife does, okay. but I have I have gone to some events. My wife uh, is wanting to take a lot more of a of a role in it. She is really passionate about languages, so she really likes uh, you know helping those communities out. And then the, the last one I would say is like Critical Mass Bomb City. Okay, it's just once a month. It's a group of people that meet up and ride bikes around. It's to uh, promote bicycle awareness and not only bicycle awareness for cars, but also for people. I mean, if you've never ridden around a town, you might not know what to look for or how to ride around town or Mm -hmm. how we need to get everybody more safety conscious, the riders and the vehicles, because that's really, aside from getting hit by a car, it's not very dangerous to ride a bike. Right. So it's like, those those would probably be the three, one thing that I would promote. Okay. So (laughs) Dexter Keerly, thanks for being on the podcast. I appreciate it. Yeah, it was a good time. And that concludes episode 100. First, thanks to Wick Realty for sponsoring the show month after month for the past couple of years. Katie and Seth Wick are two of my favorite people. Second, Thanks to another favorite person, Angelina Marie, for editing the show and for this episode, making a rare appearance on mic. You can learn more about her photography business at shorteareddog.com, that same uh, short-eared dog on Facebook and Instagram. And third, thanks to Dexter for coming on the show. You can subscribe to the Panhandle Primate Podcast on iTunes. Go to at Panhandle Primate Podcast on Instagram. He's also on Facebook. Give him a listen. And finally, thanks to my executive producers, Jason Burr, Corey Burns, Wilson Lemieux, Jennifer Callahan, Katie Linger, Patrick Burns, Daniel Davis, Josh Wood, Neil Nossiman, Ryan Pennington, Wes Reeves, and Chris Selda. They all support the show month after month through patreon.com slash heyamorello. And if you love the show, you can support it too. Just go to that link. I appreciate all of you for listening uh, week in and week out, 100 episodes wasn't sure I'd get to this point. I'm happy to be here. My name is Jason Boyette, and I will see you next week.